Poya. This is Robbie. Welcome to Uncharted and Eclectic. And thanks for joining us again. Welcome back to another episode of Uncharted and Eclectic. Today we have two very special guests, actually. Um, we are uh, pleased and honored to host Marcus Knight, um, Director of Sales from Textio. And we are also bringing back um, our most uh, popular guest in terms of views and recordings to co-host this podcast uh, with us in a discussion, Brennan Cassidy. So, so Marcus and Brennan, um, welcome, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yes. Cool. Well, Marcus, I guess to start, like, we'd love to um, learn a little bit more about you, your background, where you're from, um, how you kind of made your way into this world of SaaS sales. If you want to kind of start with a little bit of your your own personal background to give uh, to give the audience a little flavor. Yeah. Um, so I am originally from Illinois. Uh, I was born and raised in a very small rural town about 100 miles west of Chicago called Dixon. Um, uh, which is known for home of Ronald Reagan and uh, maximum security prisons. Um, and then, uh, and then when, when I was um, about 12 years old, my family moved up to the west suburbs of Chicago, so Glendale Heights area. Um, and really, I've been uh, a very sports-minded person all of my life. I played mm -hmm. um, competitive uh, basketball, ran cross-country competitively, track, uh, uh, taekwondo, and even played soccer for a while. Um, and, and really, um, when, when I was in Glendale Heights area, I was able to kind of get exposure to more things, um, which was really interesting for me because I, I'm a just curious person by nature and a very competitive person by nature. Uh, and then went away to school up in Wisconsin at a small private school called Carthage in Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, before making my way over to the West Coast. <laughs> nice. Did you play any, any of those sports that you mentioned at, uh, at Carthage? Yeah, so I um, I thought that I was going to be the next NBA star, and wah, wah, that just doesn't happen. So um, I ended up uh, trying playing a little bit my freshman year, but really focusing on cross country and track, and ran uh, three years of my four at college, and then had this dream of like, okay, if it's not basketball, then it has to be the Olympics. I got to go the Olympics, and uh, my 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 uh, expertise is mid distance. So the half mile mile is really where I really start to to make some great strides, if you will. <laughs> what, what was your uh, what was your best mile time in college? Uh, four seventeen. <laughs> yeah, uh, but again, it's like when you get to that level, there are people that are doing way better than they're like. Okay, well, that's it. I gotta hang it up after a while. <laughs> what's the What's the world record in the mile? Uh, under three. Uh, I'm sorry, under four. Sorry, under four. Under four. Sorry. <laughs> So like three forty. I think it's three. Well, in college you switch from the mile to the fifteen hundred, and, and I think it's somewhere around like three fifty-two or something along those lines. I'll double check. Yeah, they used to say uh, the four-minute mile was a big barrier, right? And then one yes. person broke it, and then like another another ten people broke it. So yes. it's, it's it's something I remember some distance sales manager telling me early in my career over and over again, and some analogy to you know, quotas or breaking a record in sales. So, um, <laughs> so tell us a little bit, Marcus, about your journey into the world of SaaS. Like, how did, uh, did, did you know that you were gonna, um, uh, did you know that you were going to jump into sales coming out of college? Like, it sounded like you thought you were going to the Olympics. Tell us about, <laughs> tell us about that mindset transition from like being an athlete and, and transitioning more into like this professional mindset and how you kind of ended up maybe in SaaS in the Bay Area. What brought yeah. you there? 
So I went actually going into college, all I knew was I wanted to be in business. That's it. I had no idea what that meant, but I was like, you know, I just want to be in business. Um, and so, and when I was doing a little, a, a few assessments and just talking to people, they're like, you know, you do have a knack for like sales in general, just the way that you are curious and the way that you analyze things. Um, and so what I ended up doing is getting an internship at a recruiting agency, uh, my junior year of, of college and, um, and was hiring software engineers and developers in, in the Chicago area. And after my junior year, I actually um, positioned to them that I should open up an office um, near near college and help run that office just because I had a, I had a lot of success over the summer and I thought I could help expand revenue from that uh, from that capacity. And they let me run with that. They were like, yeah, let's go ahead and try it out. So, um, so of course, I'm a senior in college trying to graduate and running an office in, uh, which is in Gurney, Illinois, so just over the border of Wisconsin, and, yeah. um, and learned a lot of things along the way. Um, once I ended up graduating, then I wanted to, I didn't want to live in Wisconsin anymore. I wanted to move back home. And so wanted to, and I had an understanding of sales from a recruitment standpoint, but then I wanted to also try to see what it sales looked like from a product standpoint. So went into uh, product sales at the time, which was um, way back when it was copier sales. And that was just an interesting journey in itself, uh, understanding that I didn't like that at all, but I wanted to, to really dive deep into why I didn't like it. Was it sales in general I didn't like? Was it the type of sale? What part of the process did, did, I, did you absolutely lose me? And also, like I said, I'm competitive. So I wanted to become number one, even though I hated the industry that I was in at the time. Those things did happen. Um, and then from there, just went, ended up getting um, uh, recruited by Groupon to come help run their, their organization in, in, um, in Chicago. And really that just gave me, that just refined the way that I thought about sales even more. I'm like, oh, this is a different approach than what I'm used to. And I can actually get on board with this approach. Um, and, you know, once I was there for a while, I ended up getting the itch to start my own organization. So uh, quit after a while to run a company called My Butler, which was an on-demand butler service that I, you know, me and another buddy created. And we were servicing Chicago and New York area uh, before getting uh, um, hit up by uh, some, some founders in the Bay Area that liked my recruitment background mixed with sales background and said, mm -hmm. hey, why don't you try out this, this uh, SaaS in, in the Bay for a while? And that person was Pete Kazanji, who's always been very uh, supportive in, in, my, uh, in my growth. And so it was really cool to see that once I, I was able to kind of learn underneath his, him a bit more, uh, it really honed in my skills. Like, like from an analytical standpoint, from just you know taking like the human approach out of it and just looking at, hey, like we have to really find a way to make this machine, the business run effectively. And I loved everything about that. So, you know, took some of that knowledge and just kind of expanded on it from my, from my own point of view and, you know, really haven't looked back since. I love it. Yeah. And I will, I want to come back to Pete because Pete's a legend in this space. And I think a lot of people who listen to, uh, listen to our podcast will recognize the name uh, or, or maybe downloaded a complimentary, you know, Excel forecasting spreadsheet on LinkedIn or, or something like that. Uh, he's given a lot, but I want to go back to what you said earlier, which was 
starting in recruiting, right? Like you, you started in recruiting and then went into sales and now you're in a leadership position where you're kind of, you do both, right? Like you, you recruit a lot, maybe even a little bit more than you, than you do, you know, get on sales calls and sell directly. Brendan started his career in recruiting as well. Um, and Brendan, I know you've got some, um, some opinions here and, and, and built like an early skill set in recruiting. Brendan, how important is um, recruiting and learning how to recruit early in the journey as a sales leader? Yeah, I've only uh, talked about this one about 917 times in every interview since I was like 22. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, there is no better if you want to be in tech. Um, and probably if you want to be in sales, I think in general, but I think if you want to be in tech, there's no better place to start than recruiting. Um, because you ha you ha generally speaking, you have to learn what all these different companies do. Right. So you have to be aware of, you know, all the different like, you know, spaces and verticals. You also have to be, you know, you have to learn how to kind of handicap them a little bit. Right. If you're going to work with like emerging growth companies. Right. You sort of become like sort of an amateur sort of a venture capitalist without the money. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so you're like, yeah, like, yeah, I, you know, that's my bet over there. I'm going to bet on these guys or that kind of stuff. So you you learn to do that. And then from a sales standpoint, again, you're, you're not in, when we're selling software, we're selling a constant to a variable, mm -hmm. right? The, mm -hmm. the technology never changes, mm -hmm. right? But when you're set, when you're recruiting, you're selling a variable to a variable, you're selling a candidate who could go in, in any number of directions in their decision-making process to a hiring manager, to a client that also isn't, you know, you don't control either really. And so trying to, you know, gain control over, you know, two variables is a lot harder than trying to gain control over one variable, right? When you're selling software, the software is constant. And recruiting, at least in the recruiting I was doing, and I think Marcus was doing as well, you know, you're trying to sell a hiring manager on a candidate, but you don't control what either party's decision is. So when you, you know, when you think of it from that standpoint, all of a sudden you're selling software, you're like, oh yeah, this is, <laughs> this is easier. <laughs> that was exactly like, my experience. This too. is easier. The, you know, I'm, I'm no longer selling a candidate, I'm selling this technology and that it's always the same. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so now all you have to do is sell the, you know, the hiring manager and now becomes the customer. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, that's why. And just generally, right? You're 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 like an outsider, right? When you're a third-party recruiter, right? You're always like, you know, you're an outsider. It's much easier to default to no, right? Like everybody, nobody wants to pay a third-party recruiter, right? Like, and when you're an internal recruiter, you really don't, right? When you have to pay a thirty, forty thousand dollar fee to a third-party recruiter, you look bad, <laughs> you know, like. It looks like you can't do your job. So, no, you know, like the default is always no, is always going to be no, or, I, or I'd rather not. So you're always sort of kind of that outsider and you have to sell you, right? Like you and, and what you bring to the table, maybe not, not what your company brings to the table, maybe but what you bring to the table. And I think startup selling, is a big part of it, right? Like they have to, you know, they have to buy, they have to buy you too. Right, not you can't just. It's not like you're selling Salesforce or Microsoft, and you can lead with the brand or the logo, right? And when you're selling in a startup, a lot of times they're buying. You know, 
Mm -hmm. you are intricately mixed with the product at every step. Mm -hmm. So anyways, yeah. Yeah. No, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Marcus agrees that I think. Oh, a (laughs) hundred percent. So what I heard there was recruiting is harder than selling software, (laughs) uh, which I'm definitely going to call out because I think that'll be a somewhat controversial opinion. But I think if anybody's ever been in a role where they've had, you know, a number on their head from a recruiting standpoint, um, like you said, it, it, it's it's controlling two variables versus a constant and a variable. But I like the analogy to the early stage startup because I think you could make the argument um, that an early stage startup product is to some degree more variable, right? There, there, there's an element of it being variable there because maybe it's not fully baked. And, and like you said, you're selling yourself um, as a sales rep a little bit more. So Marcus, I want to get back to talent then because you mentioned, you know, Pete Kazanji is somebody who had a lot of impact early on in your career. And I'm sure there's some great lessons in there. Like, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, being an, being a sales rep at an early stage startup, selling to early stage startups, like any lessons, learning, takeaways, things that you didn't really um, expect going into it that, that, that maybe you learned along the journey um, that you would go kind of go back and tell yourself if you were to go back, you know, in time to that, to that, beginning of that journey um i think the number one thing was like we're going to make mistakes regardless it's like you just have to live with that mistake and understand that and learn from the mistake so oftentimes when i first started out at talent then i was very much like okay this is you know foreign territory for me right now and i was also the first remote salesperson that worked there and so mm-hmm. i was i would almost like over analyze everything and Pete one day was just like, dude, just stop. You're a good salesperson. Just go after it. Like if you make a mistake, oh, well, we'll, we'll figure it out, you know? And once he kept kind of instilling that, like, hey, just lead with your confidence and you'll be fine. Um, ultimately, that curve, that learning curve just just really drastically took off because I was able to, to say, okay, I, I am confident in my skill set. And I'm confident that I can learn pretty quickly. So therefore I can just go ahead and take what I know right now and keep building off of that. And because I am a competitive person, what I ended up doing was just spending more time with senior folks in the organization to to really ramp up faster and and it really helped out. So for me, it was more so just instilling the confidence that we already have um, and and not being afraid to to fail um, because I think we all are going to do that and just be eager to learn. Eagerness is great. Yeah, I like it. Um, I think, uh, yeah, having safe to fail is obviously really important. And, mm-hmm. and a manager who can give you that, like, you know, when you get to a place in your career where it's okay to fail, that's, that's a nice place to be. Um, so, uh, listen, Marcus, I, I, you know, I want to shift the subject a little bit and just kind of talk about the current climate and stuff that's going on in the world. And, and obviously, there's a lot of discussion right now about diversity and inclusion in tech. And, and I think, you know, we're fortunate to have you on the podcast. I would love to get you just your perspective as a black man in, in the tech industry and in SaaS, like what your journey has been like and what everything, all this like recent discussion that's going on has meant to you uh, in terms of, um, you know, is it, are you surprised to hear um, the conversation started? Was it a conversation that was happening, you know, at, at some of the companies you used to work for? would love to get your take on that a little bit. Yeah, so 
What's being highlighted, I don't think is new. I think it's new that, you know, there is this much attention and awareness that's being, you know, highlighted at this time. Um, when it comes to diversity, um, oftentimes over the past, you know, several years, I've looked at it as more of like a buzzword, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. Like, I agree with diversity, I agree with equity, belonging, etc. But diversity is used so often now that I'm like, eh, it doesn't really have the effect or the meaning that that I think it was intended to have. Um, so I'm more so thinking of it from an equity standpoint. Like I think that is that is more um, truer to what I think we're looking for and like everyone in this process. And so being a black man in, 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 in SAS has been challenging to say the least, but I welcome the challenge, meaning that mm. I have been able to navigate a career with where I haven't seen very many people that look like me um, and, and to like model after from a leadership perspective, from a, a VC perspective, et cetera. And so therefore I've just been trying to figure out how to create my own lane and how to help with bringing other folks that look like me up in the ranks as well. Um, uh, you know, there's oftentimes that I go to a lot of different conferences, meetings, et cetera, and I'm the only one in the room and, uh, I'm at a point now where I'm comfortable with that, with calling that out and comfortable with saying like, hey, there needs to be more um, um, equitable, equitable um, roles in this, in, in this room. Um, also, working at Textiel and being more of like a diversity, equity and belonging type organization or software, it's really helped me with my journey and growth and how to express that as well too. Um, so it's our, our CEO, Karen, she does a great job of just understanding like, oh, if you feel these certain type of ways, just keep leaning into it, keep digging, keep making people aware of what's going on. And ultimately, if, especially when we're selling our software to organizations, either they're going to get on board or they're not, but at least we have something that we can stand on, a ground to stand on. So, um, so overall, I, I, I think that equity, belonging, diversity is very, very important in, in, in SAS. And oftentimes when I'm looking at, um, at, at SAS organizations, it seems like we're missing the mark quite a bit because there's a lot of talented folks out there. We're just looking in all the wrong places. So. Yeah. And when you say equity, um, like, tell me a little, can you define that a little bit more? I think where people's mind goes is like cap table, right? And like, yeah. obviously there's a component of like making sure that ownership of the business is equitable across different yeah. roles and functions. But I got the sense that maybe you meant a little bit more broadly, like equitable from, uh, tell, tell us a little bit more by what you, how you think about equity and, and, and creating an equitable like organization. Yeah, and Robbie, you started to hit right on it. Like e equity from like a personnel perspective, not necessarily capital, like yes, that is a piece of it, but more so from like um, the type of roles, the type of, of positions that are that are um, open for, for people of color, et cetera. Um, and just the the level of authenticity, of, uh, authenticity, uh, oh, is that right? I think, um, but being able to be your true self in, in the work environment. We all have different backgrounds. We all have different life experiences. And to be able to come in into a, a work environment and be your true self and to be able to express yourself in a way that shows like, hey, this is my upbringing. This is where I come from. This is why you hired me in the first place. And this is what I'm able to bring to the table, I think is very, very important. And I think that oftentimes that gets missed 
or watered down a bit where we're, we're taught to to we're taught to either act a certain way or don't question things a certain way and it's like well there's a lot of questions that that we have let's just get them on the table and then also the other thing that i'm thinking of is pay disparity as well too so like making sure that we are creating a space where where employees one there's transparency in 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 the type of salaries that we have but it's more equitable from that standpoint. Um, oftentimes when you think of people of color and their um, and and the communities that they that they serve and what they have to do to even just to to get up to come to work, it's oftentimes they're they're left like still in the starting blocks while everyone else is still like a hundred meters away running, you know, if I can use a track analogy. So yeah. Yeah, no, please use as many track analogies uh, as as you like. I love it. Um, so so I, you know, to, to go one level deeper on the, I think making that distinction between uh, companies prioritizing diversity versus equity versus inclusion, like these, these do mean, these do mean different things, but if we kind of like put it all together and maybe just like call it like, you know, uh, diversity, maybe a bit more of a high level, like I'd love to get your take on why it's important. And I think that like everybody agrees that all three of these things from diversity to equality and equity to inclusion are important, mm -hmm. especially right now. I think it's very like everybody is, is uh, being pretty vocal about that. And I think that's really important. And I think we all want that to continue. But I think to some degree, sometimes it gets lost in the, like why it's so important. And you've worked at a couple of organizations between Textio and TalentBin and even starting your own thing where like you've worked in organizations that have like a really healthy balance between those things. And you've seen what that can do for a team and what you can do for a business. So like talk a little bit about maybe in your experience, why those things are so important and like what the outcomes maybe could be in terms of like the business and, and why people should prioritize it. So the first thing I'd say is that um, when you think about DE&I um, and being in the importance of it, um, you see that you get different points of view that will ultimately help shape your organization, help shape products for the better, for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I've had that experience across the, the last few organizations I've been at where, you know, I, me, myself, as a black man is going in with one way of thinking, but when you add in people with different backgrounds into the mix, then it kind of expands my view wider to say, oh, I hadn't even thought about that, or I wasn't being inclusive to a whole demographic of, of individuals, and how can I, you know, and ultimately, if I'm selling a software that is promoting that, what can we do to make sure that we're mitigating that bias to some degree? Um, especially when you're talking software products, oftentimes we see a lot of bias that is built into these products from machine learning and, 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 um, and artificial intelligence, et cetera. And so when you are able to had, have different, different backgrounds in the mix, helping make those decisions and testing, then we can, we, we don't necessarily have like some of these uh, fallouts that we've seen in the, in, in the news lately. So, so for me, that's one of the biggest benefits from like a, a company product standpoint, from a employee standpoint, I think that we are creatures um, that love to learn. And so therefore, when you're able to learn from different cultures and, and why certain dates and, and things are important to one uh, demographic um, versus another, et cetera, then it just broadens our horizon and we ultimately have a better work environment, a more cohesive and collaborative work environment, which is ultimately what I'm always striving for. 
Yeah, I love that. So I heard that, you know, you've got the, the product lens and you've got like the people lens and like what that can do, you know, as an individual and how we can all grow. But going back to that product lens, I mean, I, I just to make sure I heard you correctly, like in an organization that uh, maybe has some type of element of machine learning or artificial intelligence in their product, there there is like a literal output of the biases of the organization in the product. Yep. Did I hear that correctly? Yes, that is right. Yeah. So, so, it, and it's, it, it's, it happens like unconsciously. I, at least I, I, that's how I, what, what I believe, but oftentimes you'll see that like, you didn't think the organization has more of like homogenous workforce. And so they think about things like in that lens, as opposed to just being able to reach out to see what other ways or, or points of view that should be taken into consideration when making these products and how it can truly be more inclusive for, for people. Yeah, I mean, that's a great example of a specific way that um, diversity, equality, and inclusion like manifests itself in product. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I hadn't really thought of that example, but I think that's it's it's exact it's the data you put in right which mm -hmm. is also influenced by the biases and the people that you have in your organization so um yeah that that makes that makes a lot of sense um cool well marcus tell us a little bit right now about what you are working on next i mean you've been at Textio, you've had an opportunity to build this really awesome diverse um, high-powered sales organization i think you take the taken the team from zero to I think at least 30 million in arr am i correct there yeah. Okay. We're getting close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Getting close. So about, you know, we'll call it zero to 25, which is, which is a substantial part of the journey. And, and so you've got, you know, three significant wins under the belt. What are you thinking about doing next as far as what's next for Marcus? Yeah. So, um, so for me, I have started an organization called cultured perspectives, which is, um, I guess you can look at it as like a VP on demand type service, VP of sales on demand type service. And really it's to, it's focusing on um, people of color, um, startups to help them with a uh, scale their organization from a revenue lens. So, you know, how are you going to, to put in certain metrics in order to ensure that you're going to, you know, hit your milestones that you're looking to, how are you going to scale an organization so that you can actually um, um, start bringing in the type of revenue you want. Um, and ultimately, my goal is to have a large um, company that is very diverse and, and representative of the world that we live in and able to, you know, in this economic state, keep costs down. You know, right now, mm -hmm. like, there's a lot of, of, um, of uncertainty as far as the economy. And so instead of hiring, you know, VPs of sales and CROs, et cetera, if you're not one of these larger organizations, more of a, a um, early stage or emerging organization, then this is a way that you can, you know, use uh, our services in order to, you know, still have that type of leadership role within your organization. And ultimately you can determine if you want that person to come on board full time, or if you want to just kind of take a, you know, say, I think we have it from here. We, you've done enough trainings for my middle management team that they can actually move into more of a leadership type role. Okay. And you mentioned that your focus is primarily on um, like founders with like, you know, founders of color or founders who come from kind of underrepresented groups. Um, and so it sounds like, is there, do you, do you do any work with founders that, may, that maybe aren't from that specific segment, but like want to, to learn more and have like a diversity lens from day one? Yeah, I'd say probably four of my clients are 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 not from like a, a a people of color founders, and really it's it's it is just that they want to learn, they they want to understand, you know, what they can do to to kind of um, 
um, impact their workforce as well as how to grow the revenue within the organization. And so it's been a great experience from my, um, in my opinion, where, where we've been able to come in and say, okay, this is what we're able to do. Uh, this is where you're at today. This is what we're able to do. And this is where I see us in three months, six months, a year, et cetera. And we work on, on anything from short-term projects to long-term, depending on the needs of, of the business. Um, but it's what it's like, it was an idea that I had in my head for a while. And, you know, with all the time that we have on our hands, I was like, you know what, let's just go ahead and get it started. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And this is your second uh, startup that, that you're founding. So we've got a multi-time founder, which is always <laughs> an, an important uh, clarification. Okay, cool. So, um, so it sounds like founders, uh, venture backed or not, um, mm -hmm. diverse, and diverse from a diverse group or not, but, but folks that are basically looking to grow with a lens and priority on, on diversity while they grow. Mm -hmm. uh, sound like a very good fit for what you guys are working on at Culture Perspective. Yeah. Cool. Um, very good. Well, listen, Marcus, I, we could probably continue to talk for another uh, hour and a half, and, and we would absolutely love to have you back, especially you know after three, four months of uh, going into the business and, and learning more about your takeaways and perspective, because you get to see so many different companies um, at Culture Perspective. But um, I do want to wrap with one kind of final question. Um, we always like to, to, you know, ask folks who have, who have gone through, you know, a decade or more of the journey to, to look back. And I asked you this specifically about talent then, but I want you to kind of look all the way back to uh, the, you know, Marcus, who was running a 417 mile in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And if you were to give any advice, you know, to that Marcus, um, uh, looking back kind of on everything you've learned from the beginning, um, what, what, what might that advice be? What might you tell yourself if you were to go back in time? Oh man. Um, well, there's, uh, I'd say first to trust your instincts. Um, oftentimes we second guess ourselves and just trust your instincts. Even if, even if you get off course or it's not the right thing at the moment, you learn valuable lessons along the way in that process. Um, a second is like, you know, whatever is important to you and near and dear to you to be vocal about it early on, uh, because it will help you um, kind of be able to stick up for what you believe in and, and really bring people forward. One of the things that I think is very valuable that I am now doing that I wish that I would have started doing a long time ago is bringing more people up with you. So, so making sure that, you know, if I don't see very much black representation in, in software sales, where can I look to, to find that talent? Who can I tap to bring along with me and to kind of learn the ropes as I'm learning, um, you know, maybe in a different capacity, but, but still they're learning. Also bringing individuals in that have promise and potential to be, um, uh, you know, management and leadership level, bring them into the mix, into those meetings so that they can get a sense of, you know, what it's like to be in those roles. So uh, oftentimes I like to do what I call ride-alongs where, you know, oh, I have a promising young person that, that is looking to, uh, to get into management or leadership. Great, you're gonna spend, you're gonna come to some, some management meetings with me. You're gonna come to board meetings with me and just kind of be a fly on the wall and see how we're interacting. And ultimately that will help them or prepare them for, for when it's their time to, to take over. So um, for me, it's all about reaching out for people. Uh, and so that's probably my number one thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I, it's it's good to have Brennan on the call too because he's somebody who's prioritized pulling people up with him from day one. And, and I think especially from the lens of 
recruiting as well as like leadership, um, you know, that's kind of what you stake your rep- your your you know your reputation on. It's who who who's come under your coaching tree and gone on to you know do great things, right? And staking your reputation on 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 their success. So, uh, Marcus, listen, this has been so much fun. I really really appreciate you taking the time uh, to come on board and, and talk to us about I think some really important stuff. I, if folks want to get in touch with you, um, whether it's about culture perspective or whether they just want to pick your brain about some of the things to learn, like what's what's the best way for them to get in touch? Oh man. Uh, so Marcus at culturedperspective.com is my, is my email. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Marcus Knight, social platforms. I think Mr. Knight 83 uh, on social platforms, but I'm very accessible. And, you know, I'd say just allow a couple of days for me to respond back just based off of things I got going on right now with moving and stuff, but more than happy to, to talk with anyone for the most part. Awesome. Well, Marcus, thanks again for coming on board. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Marcus. Thank you. managers become great leaders. And how do they do that? Well, Plato helps you find the perfect mentor thanks to its network of experienced engineering leaders who work at the world's best tech companies. For a monthly fee, you have unlimited access to mentors who can help when you have challenging situations as a manager. Visit them at PlatoHQ.com.